certainly do appreciate everyone uh, being here this morning. So important for us to take time out on the first day of the week as the week begins on the Lord's Day and uh, express our gratitude to Him and our adoration for Him to remember what He's done for us, to remember the death of Jesus on the cross. doesn't take very long to do that, just a few minutes. It's so important for us to begin this new week in that way and prepare us for the coming challenges of the week. It's important for our children to be a part of that and uh, for them to see us uh, devoting ourselves to the Lord, worshiping Him, uh, expressing our commitment to Him, singing these songs together. It's important for them to see us uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper and how serious and important that is for us. Again, doesn't take very long to do that, just a few minutes, but it's so very, very important that we do that. I was thinking about Alan's comments at the beginning of the contribution, the comments preparing for the contribution. We did that with our children. We'd give them maybe some coins or maybe a dollar bill or something like that and try to teach them to contribute, and they're very excited about it. Uh, I want you to put this in the plate when it comes by. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now remember to put it in the plate when it comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Real excited. And when the plate comes, I think both of them, oh, they held on to that. <laughs> to pry their fingers open. And I thought, there, there's some adults like that. Maybe not exactly that way, but at least uh, in mind, uh, perfectly willing, maybe perhaps... Uh, sometimes, or when it comes time to actually do the giving, a little bit tight-fisted. But anyway, just an observation. Last week we began talking about the Holy Spirit. We talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. We're going to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit today, in the time that we have this morning. I remember in John chapter 16, Jesus is in the upper room. This is the night before He'll, he'll be betrayed the next morning and tried and then led away to be crucified. This is the occasion when he um, institutes the Lord's Supper, although that's not discussed in the passage we're going to look at. It's just that occasion. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit to his apostles. He promises, for example, that he's going to send the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit to them in chapter 16, verse 7. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, just a name for the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. And so Jesus promises the apostles that He'll send them the Holy Spirit. And we see that coming to pass on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the apostles are all together in one place in the city of Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in other languages. And they teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was died according to the plan of God. That He was raised from the dead. And now He sits at God's right hand. That He is both Lord and Christ. When the audience received that, they asked what they needed to do. And He tells them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And so the Holy Spirit on that occasion enables the apostles to teach the gospel for the first time, to teach it in a powerful way to the diverse crowd that had been gathered there. 3,000 people receive the message, are baptized, and the church begins. We'll talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit this morning. 
But as we did last week, we'll just make a few introductory comments. We're going to draw our information from the text itself, from the Bible itself, not our thoughts, not the thoughts of others, not church tradition or ecclesiastical statements, but from the text, from Scripture itself. However, we don't want to go beyond what Scripture teaches. We want to draw from the Scripture, but limit our conclusions to what Scripture has to say. Now, drawing inferences from what is implied in Scripture, that's perfectly legitimate. Jesus expects us to do that, to draw out the inferences from the information that's there, the implication from the text. But going beyond what is implied really is to be avoided. And that's what we want to do. We want to avoid going beyond what the Scripture teaches. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 teaches us not to go beyond what is written. So we want to be careful Bible students. Several years ago, I was engaged in conversation with a preacher friend of mine talking about a third party, and my friend remarked that the third party was a careful Bible student. And I thought, that's, that's a good description of what we want to be. We want to be not, not careless. We don't want to treat the Word of God cavalierly or irresponsibly. We don't take liberties with the text. We want to be careful Bible students and avoid mistakes by saying less than what the Bible says or by saying more than what the Bible says. We don't want to do either, uh, either of those. Say less than what it says, that would be a mistake, and to say more than what it says and what it implies would be a mistake as well. So let's talk a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in God's plan of salvation. Maybe a good place to begin is right here in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. As I said a moment ago, especially in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus has several things to say about the Holy Spirit. He identifies the Holy Spirit in this passage as the Helper. And so you'll see in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things. Now, we'll get to that word helper in just a moment. But first, a little aside. Jesus is talking here on this occasion in the upper room to His apostles. Luke tells us that Jesus was gathered together there with His apostles, Luke 22 and verse 14. And so this is not a sermon delivered to uh, a large crowd of just a variety of people, a large group of uh, people, maybe disciples or not disciples. This is a more or less a private conversation with a specific group of people, the apostles. And so some of what is said in this passage is going to apply to the apostles. But some of it will apply to disciples generally. After all, the, disciples, the apostles are disciples. And so some of it will apply to all of us. However, some of it would apply to the apostles specifically. Let me give you an example. John 15 and verse 16, Jesus tells them, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of my, the Father in my name, He'll give to you. And so you can see how that would apply, especially to the apostles. 
Now, you didn't choose me. I chose you to be apostles, and I'm going to send you out. I've appointed you to send you out to bear fruit. That is, to teach the gospel to people and bring them in to the kingdom. And so, again, there are some things said specifically for the apostles, but since they're disciples, some of what he has to say will be applicable to all disciples. John uses, uh, or Jesus uses here in this particular passage, uh, the word parakletos. And I don't want to just overwhelm you with that or anything, but that's, that's a word translated in some of the older versions, like the King James Version, or the old American Standard Version as the Comforter. And that might be the word that we've grown up with and we're accustomed to hearing. More recent versions translated Advocate in the NIV or Counselor in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. But the NASB, New American Standard Bible, and the New King James Version and the English Standard Version translated Helper. And that seems to convey the idea. And I think we can get some insight into the role of the Holy Spirit from that description. He is the Helper. He's the one that helps the Father carry out His plan in the world. And perhaps we'll see how that works in, uh, as we go through. Now, in this particular passage, the Holy Spirit is going to do several things for the apostles. And so Jesus tells the apostles, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and He's going to do a number of things for you. Here in this, this passage, they're spelled out. Chapter 14 and verse 26, for example, says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now we can see how that would specifically apply to the apostles. That's pretty easy for us to see. Now, I'm up here preaching, and I can't remember all that Jesus said. It's written down for me. <laughs> but you see, in their case, as they would go out preaching, the Spirit would enable them to remember all that Jesus said to them. Okay? So you can see how that's a specific promise to a specific group of people. I'm going to, he'll, the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. In chapter 15, in verse 26, it says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So that's something else he's going to do. When he comes to you, he will testify about Jesus. In chapter 16, in verse 8, he says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Then He elaborates on that a little bit. And so He's going to convict the world in respect to sin and righteousness and judgment. In verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll disclose to you what is to come. And then verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And so here's what Jesus promises the apostles when the Holy Spirit is sent to them. The Spirit will teach them all things. Bring to their remembrance all that Jesus said. He will testify about Jesus. He will convict the world in respect of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will guide them into all the truth. He will glorify Jesus by taking of mind, Jesus says, and disclosing it to you. So what do all these things have in common? There is a common thread that runs through them. 
They all have to do with communicating the message of Christ. Teaching, reminding, guiding into the truth, disclosing, even convicting the world of its sin is done through the preaching of the message. You might remember on the day of Pentecost when the apostles preached the gospel, what effect did that have on the people that were listening? They were cut to the heart. They were made aware of their sin. They were convicted of their sin. And so all of these things that the Spirit is going to do for the apostles has to do with communicating the message, communicating the gospel. And so the Spirit is the helper. He helps the spread of the gospel by communicating or revealing these things to the apostles who then preach to the people. That's what happens on the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They teach. They teach the gospel. Uh, they, they, teach, uh, they preach uh, the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. They teach it in different languages. And so that adds another dimension to the point we want to make. And so not only did they teach the message, but the Holy Spirit confirmed the message through the miracles He enabled them to perform. So we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Now what we've said is consistent with other statements found in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about teaching the message and preaching the gospel. He says, beginning in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God, which things also we speak. And so we're speaking the things that God has given us. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And so that's what, you know, what Paul is saying is very similar to what Jesus says in John 14, 15, 16. The Spirit teaches us what to say, and we say it, and people hear it, and they, those who receive it, become Christians. But our information is given to us or revealed to us through the Spirit. Similar thing is said in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. By revelation, Paul says, there was made known to me the mystery. And so the, the plan of God to save us, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I didn't develop it myself. I didn't work this out and, you know, over a long period of time. It was revealed to me. And goes on to say, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. The Spirit is the helper. How does He help? He helps by revealing to these men, the apostles and New Testament prophets, revealing to them the message of God, the gospel, the mystery of God. Now it occurs to me that that's not unique to the New Testament, that there are Old Testament passages that associate the Spirit with the Word of God or the message of God. Isaiah 59 verse 21 as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. My spirit is upon you and my words will not depart. Now, the spirit is not to be equated with the word, but the, the spirit is the source of the word that is being preached. And then Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he anointed me to bring new, good news to the afflicted. And so again, we see a connection between, a link between the Spirit and the good news, or the Word that's received and, and taught. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, The Old Testament prophets, I was speaking especially about them, were men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, said what they did. And so the Holy Spirit helps in the plan of salvation by revealing the gospel. We call that inspiration. By inspiring these men who taught and wrote. But he also helped the spread of the gospel by confirming the divine source through miracles. Look at a couple of passages along those lines. And so Jesus commissions the apostles to go out and preach the gospel. How will people know that we're teaching the Word of God? Well, I'm going to confirm the message that you preach by enabling you to do miracles. Mark 16, verse 20. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the Word by the signs that followed. And so they preached, and the veracity of the Word, the truthfulness of the Word, the divine source of the Word was confirmed by the signs that followed, signs that they were enabled to do by the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, find a similar statement. Remember in verse 3, he asked the question, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, the salvation that's in Christ? How are we going to escape God's wrath if we neglect the salvation that's offered to us in Christ? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Notice that the miracles served and established the Word. The Word preached was the focus of the work and of the apostles and men like them. And so the miracles confirm the Word. The Word is sort of the preeminent thing. The Word is the focus, and the miracles are, are given or are done in order to support that Word. And that's really how we ought to view the miraculous spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And so the message is revealed, is preached, the veracity of the message is confirmed by miracles. And when the message is fully delivered and verified by miracles, then the miracles fade. And so, 1 Corinthians 13, these gifts have ceased. And so the Holy Spirit is the helper. How does He help? Well, one of the things He does is reveal the Word to those who preached. And when we receive the Word, when we hear the Word and understand and receive it, obey it, we are being led by and influenced by the Spirit Himself. It occurred to me there are several other occasions in the, in the Bible where the Holy Spirit serves as the helper. And we'll just mention these. We won't go into them in any detail for time's sake. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel and enabled him to construct the temple. He helped him. The Holy Spirit helped him by giving him the, 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 you know, the, the, the mental ability. He can figure things out, maybe the ability with his hands, wherewithal to construct the, attempt, the, construct the temple or the tabernacle on that occasion. The Holy Spirit gave Othniel the power and ability to carry out his work as a judge. So he's helping these men carry out the task that God has given them to do. Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helped bring Christ into the world by enabling Mary to conceive, though she was a virgin. He helped in the ministry of Christ by enabling Him to cast out demons. Remember, Jesus says, But if I, by the 
power of the Spirit, if I by the Spirit cast out demons, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the Spirit is working even in Christ, enabling Him to do these miracles, which support His claim to be the Son of God. You see the Spirit helping in that endeavor. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Yet he did no miracle. That's interesting, isn't it? Full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, but he did no miracle. So the Holy Spirit must have helped John the Baptist in other ways. We can think of it maybe in this way. God as the reconciler, Jesus as the redeemer, the Holy Spirit as the revealer. Maybe something like that would be an easy way to remember this most important role, very important role that the Holy Spirit fills in God's plan of salvation. Let's notice some other things that the Holy Spirit does for Christians. Now, I want to emphasize His role as as, uh, revealing the Word and, and, and inspiring these men to preach and to write. That is so often neglected in people's discussions of the Holy Spirit. Don't talk about the Spirit's role in revealing the Word very much at all. We'll talk about lots of other things. But that's a primary role of the Spirit. So we see His work in the New Testament. Well, so He has revealed the Word. That's one of the things He does. The Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. Psalm 119, verse 105. We are born again by the Spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 5 in His conversation with Nicodemus, uh, Jesus says, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We are born of the Spirit. If you look at John chapter 6, you'll see a similar statement, not exactly the same, but similar. John 6 verse 63, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, well, there we see a link between the Spirit and words again. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and our life. And so the Spirit gives life. The words that I've spoken are spirit and life. And that's consistent with what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again by the Word of God. And so the Spirit gives us life. We're born again by the Spirit. But, but even this, even this is accomplished through the Word that is revealed by the Spirit. So just as ours. Our spirit gives our body life. The body without the spirit is dead, James says. So the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life as well. Now, an aside here, a lot of people believe that the Holy Spirit must act directly on us before we can understand and respond to the Word. And that's that's the result of um, the mistaken notion that we have inherited total depravity, total corruption from Adam. And so if we're totally depraved in our character, can't think anything good, can't do anything good, even the things that we do that look like they're good really are not good, well then we can't accept the gospel because that would be good. So the Spirit has to act upon us directly in order to open our mind for the reception of the gospel. Now, If we're spiritually minded people, if we're open to the Word, we can understand the truth of the Gospel and accept it. Examples in the book of Acts support that. Acts chapter 2, the people heard the Word, they evaluated, they saw that it was true, they responded to it. And and throughout the the book of Acts, those examples of conversion uh, are, 
are, are like that. We are sanctified by the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. We are sanctified, set apart by the Spirit. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. We are led by the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. Don't know that we need to turn to a lot of passages to make this point, but Galatians 5 verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We're led by the Spirit. Now, we need to be careful here. First of all, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to what He's revealed in His Word. Okay, just remember that. We're led by the Spirit. The Spirit will never lead us to do something in violation of the Word He's delivered. And people say, well, you know, I just feel like the Spirit is leading me in this direction, or I just feel like the Lord wants me. Well, not if that's in contradiction to what the Word says. Your feelings are deceiving you. The Holy Spirit doesn't communicate us through signs or unusual events like He did the prophets. You ever heard a story something like this? Well, you know, I couldn't decide whether to take this job or this job. And I was thinking about it and I was praying about it. I didn't know what to do and I was driving along and I looked up and there was a billboard for this company and I just knew that was the Spirit telling me which job to take. Something like that. Well. I'm suggesting that the Holy Spirit does not communicate to us through signs or unusual events. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God in old time or long ago spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Now God used to communicate to people like that, but, but not anymore. Today He speaks to us through His Son. And where do we find the teaching of the Son? We find it here. We find it in in Scripture. So we need to be careful there. Nor does the Holy Spirit lead us through certain feelings. I was making this choice and I prayed about it and I just got a good feeling about this. And I I just knew that was the Spirit leading me in this direction. Or, you know, I was concerned about this and I just got this terrible feeling about about a certain thing. And I knew that was the feeling, uh, Spirit telling me not to go that direction. Well, feelings are not reliable indicators of what the Holy Spirit would have us to do. Paul says in Acts 26 and verse 9, I thought I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Feelings are just not good indicators of what God would have us to do. Too often our feelings are simply a a confirmation of what we really want to do. And so this is what, kind of deep down, this is what I want to do. And boy, you know, i got a good feeling about that. <laughs> a lot of times that's, that's uh, what feelings are. Feelings may not be a safe guide, but the Word the Holy Spirit has revealed is a safe guide. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 says that we are strengthened through the Spirit. And then Romans 8 verse 26, interesting passage. The Holy Spirit helps with our infirmities it says, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And so, the Spirit helps with our infirmities. Finally, Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, we are sealed with the Spirit. 
What does the Spirit do? We're born again by the Spirit. But even that's accomplished through the Word. We're sanctified by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us. The New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells in Christians. You know, it's interesting. A lot of different terms are used for the giving of the Spirit. Sometimes that term is used. The Holy Spirit is given Sometimes it's poured out. Sometimes it falls on people. Sometimes it comes upon people. On the other hand, sometimes you will receive the Spirit or are filled with the Spirit. Some are baptized in the Spirit. We'll get to that in just a moment. We might be inclined to just equate all of those things to be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit. But I don't know that that really should be done to equate all those things. But the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Romans 8 verse 9 says, If the Spirit doesn't dwell in us, we don't belong to Him. We're sealed with the Spirit. A seal, of course, was a mark of identification. I'm writing a letter. I want you to know that it's come from me. If I were a king, I'm putting my seal on it to show this is a, a mark of authentication. And so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We have the seal of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells in us in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The Spirit dwells in us. If the Spirit doesn't dwell in us, we don't belong to Christ. But since the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we should live according to the Spirit. And so it is here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that we are uh, to, to devote ourselves to godly living and holy living because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to glorify God in our bodies. Romans chapter 8 contains a, a little additional information in verse 4. Since the Spirit dwells on us, we are to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Verse 5 tells us that we are to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And verse 13 tells us that we're to put to death the deeds of the body. So if we're walking according to the Spirit, we're minding the things of the Spirit. We're putting to death the impulses and desires of the body. Now those are things that are involved in walking by the Spirit or living by the Spirit. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We ought to then walk according to the Spirit, setting our minds on things of the Spirit and putting to death the desires of the body. Bring those two in control. In two cases, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And then uh, following that, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In that first passage, Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, that they'll be baptized in the Spirit. And He refers to John the Baptist's promise in Matthew chapter 3. And so we know from what Jesus says... When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, we can read about Cornelius and his household being baptized in the Spirit. How do we know they were baptized in the Spirit? In chapter 11, Peter says they received the same gift that we received, and he refers to John the Baptist's promise in Matthew chapter 3. So both of those occasions, John the Baptist's promise is cited giving us confirmation. These are two occasions of Holy Spirit baptism. 
And the signs that follow can confirm that. And so being baptized in the Holy Spirit was a special circumstance. It marked new and important development in the spread of the gospel. Men, the apostles, were baptized in the Spirit on that first occasion when the gospel was preached. When Cornelius was baptized in the Spirit, it was an indication to the apostles that the Gentiles are acceptable uh, to, uh, to God and may enter into His kingdom. And so it signaled new and important developments in God's plan of salvation and the spread of the gospel. Not all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in all Christians, but not all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit continues to help today. People are born again by the Spirit. People are strengthened by the Spirit. The Spirit helps with our infirmities by interceding for us. We are led by the Spirit. Remember the role of the Spirit as the revealer especially, that He has revealed the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And when we follow, when we understand, put into practice the Word, we're being led by the Spirit in that way. So let's just summarize. Holy Spirit is a divine person. Described by Jesus as the helper. He has helped God carry out His plan in various ways. One significant way is by revealing God's message to men, especially prophets and apostles. We are born of the Spirit, but even this is accomplished through the Word of God revealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us, but we mustn't think that we can determine the leadings of the Spirit by our feelings or by signs that we, th we think He sends to us. But we walk in the Word. We pray that God guides us. We pray for wisdom and courage. Proverbs 16, verse 9, we plan our way, but understand that the Lord directs our steps. So let me just say that again. And so we're led, being led by the Spirit. So what do we do? Well, we walk in the Word, okay? We, we, we understand the Word, put it into practice. We pray for God's help. We pray that He strengthen us, give us the courage to continue to walk in the Word, give us wisdom to know how to apply His Word as it should be applied. We plan our way. The mind of the man plans his way. But the Lord directs His steps. We trust in the Lord that He will direct our steps in the way that we should go. The Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, consequently, we're to live holy lives. We are no more to defile our bodies with immorality any more than an Israelite would defile the temple of God with uncleanness. You see the, 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 you see the implication of our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit? We should no more defile our bodies with immorality than an Israelite, godly, conscientious Israelite in the Old Testament would defile the temple of God with something unclean. It's just, that just doesn't compute, does it? And so, I hope this has been a little helpful anyway in the discussion of, of the Holy Spirit. It's a little different from what you might hear just out in the world in general among religious people. Really focuses, gives a lot of uh, priority and emphasis on the spirit, role of the Spirit as the revealer, which is, I think, neglected by the world in general. And so, that's been my intent today anyway. And hope, hope in some way it's been helpful. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together, to encourage each other, to worship together, to strengthen and edify one another, 
in, in this way by our singing together and praying together and taking of the Lord's Supper together. We pray, Father, that this has been beneficial to each person here, that they have been strengthened and edified and uplifted by what we've done. Primarily, Father, we, it is our intent to, to praise you and to glorify you in our effort today, and our hope is that, that uh, you have been honored and glorified by what we've done. Help us, Father, to commit ourselves to a study of the Word, uh, to devote ourselves to understanding it, to living by it. Help us, Father, to uh, not to omit any part of the Word, but not to go beyond the Word, but to see what's there, to accept it, and then apply it to our lives. It's the Word, Father, the implanted Word, which will save our souls, and so may we dedicate ourselves to it. Father, we're thankful for all that you've done for us to reconcile us to yourself. We're thankful that you sent Christ into the world as our Redeemer. And we're thankful that you've revealed all of these things through your Spirit. We pray that we will be faithful in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, not a Christian, but 